Hello, Habit Mechanics. It's Dr. John Finn here. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. Welcome to a new series of shorter podcasts where I'm going to talk about the stories of people that I think are habit mechanics. As you've heard me say many times, I feel that spending over 20 plus years in this field of helping people to be at their best, I feel that the only way to be at our best in the challenging modern world is to become a habit mechanic. Traditional coaching methods don't work anymore because the world is too challenging. So what does it mean to become a habit mechanic? Well, I I share this in chapter two of the Habit Mechanic book. Habit mechanics know how to use powerful insights from neuroscience, psychology, and behavioral science that actually feel better and do better. What does that mean in plain English? I'm reading this from the book, so I, you just heard the, the page turn. By becoming a habit mechanic, you will learn how to use a range of simple and practical tools that will change your brain and help you design your environment to make it easier to be at your best. In a nutshell, learning how to become a habit mechanic is learning how to coach yourself. In other words, how to self-coach. Because the world is more challenging than ever before, being able to do this is more important before. And it's not just knowing what you need to do to be at your best. It's being able to build the habits that allow you to do that. We know that traditional ways of helping people to be at their best, whether it's self, self-help, therapy, traditional coaching, they don't, they're not designed to help us to change our behavior, to build better habits. They're designed to give us more knowledge, sometimes more skills, but not actually build new habits. And it's quite interesting if you dig into where does the term coaching actually come from? Obviously, the, the term coach is about transporting people. That's its origin. But according to some information that I've been reading, the origins of the word coach when it relates to helping others do better actually came from Oxford University in the 1830s. And it it says the origins uh, of the word coaching. So the first use of the term coach in connection with an instructor or trainer arose around 1830 in Oxford University's slang for a tutor who carried a student through an exam. I found that so interesting. Um, and it makes complete sense. So that's the, that's the origin of the word or one of the origins. But here's the problem. The world that we're currently living in is has just propelled us into these almost continuous transition state. So my, my PhDs, a big chunk of my PhDs is about transitions. So I'm very familiar with those models. There are lots of normal transitions in our life, like going from being a, going from primary school or elementary school to secondary school, moving from being a, a teenager to an adult, getting your first job, retiring, etc. There's lots of norm, what we call normative transitions. But there are lots of non-normal transitions as well. And it appears to me that what the post-pandemic world has done, it's catapulted the vast majority of us, if not all of us, into this state of perpetual transition where we are just constantly surrounded in our private lives and our work lives and our social lives. We're just constantly surrounded by change. 
and the change is getting faster and faster. So if we think back to our parents and our grandparents' generations where lots of people, for example, in the Western world worked in factories and you learned, you know, well, you went to you went to work at a set time in the morning, you left work at a set time in the evening, you had set breaks. Once you'd learned your basic job, it didn't really change throughout the course of your career. When you went home, you didn't take any work home with you. No emails, no phones, etc. Whereas in today's world, even doing something simple like banking is changing all the time because of technology. So the world is changing at a rate of knots and the pandemic has really accelerated that, the transformation of how we use technologies, for example, we're seeing the human-like AI become um, commercially available to everyone, so everyone can start to use it. So we live in a world where the only constant is change, and whereas previously we may have been able to rely on others to help us to get better at the things we need to get better at, I think more than ever now the starting point has to be ourselves. We have to first and foremost get good at coaching ourselves how to be at our best, and that is the whole point of the habit mechanic approach, first and foremost, is that you learn how to coach yourself in a way that you can build better habits. And what I want to share in this short, in these short podcasts is stories of people that I think have shown the power of actually self-coaching and showing that when you put your best foot forward, and you're prepared to take responsibility for doing your best to be at your best, and you use insights from science, then you're going to have the best chance of actually being at your best and fulfilling your potential. So the first story I want to share today is about someone called Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the first person to run the sub four-minute mile, and I actually talk about Roger Bannister in the book in chapter four and I want to share that chapter with you now so that you can hear the story or revisit the story because it's really powerful and it's really empowering and it shows the importance of using what we call um, or moving away from what we call black box theories if we actually want to be at our best. So this is the story of Roger Bannister and how he used insights from cutting-edge science to help him to become the first person on the planet to run the sub-four-minute mile. Chapter 4. The Secret Science Behind a Story of Iconic Sporting Success They said it couldn't be done. They said it was not possible. But on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister became the first person to run the sub four-minute mile. Some of the world's best runners and coaches had been attempting to break this record since the 1880s, and it was beginning to look impossible. In the 1950s, Bannister was not the only elite athlete trying to break that four-minute barrier. The record was also being pursued by American where Santee an Australian, John Landy. So why did Bannister succeed where many others had failed? Bannister's secret advantage. Running was only Bannister's hobby. 
His profession was medicine. At Oxford University, he was training to be a medical doctor. He was also a research scholar studying the respiratory system. As his research participants were running on treadmills in the university laboratory, Bannister was investigating the effects of oxygen levels on their performance. This was cutting-edge research. As stated in Neil Bascom's The Perfect Mile, few had examined the body's capacity to withstand punishment to the extent Bannister did. Bannister stated that he knew enough about medicine and physiology to know it was physically possible to run a sub-four-minute mile. He was not interested in the art of running fast. He was interested in the science. It's clear that Roger Bannister was an early pioneer in what we now call sports science. He wanted to understand the inner workings of his body and how it responded to training, much like a Formula One racing car mechanic understands the inner workings of an engine. If you understand the inner workings of your mind and body, you will be better able to make positive changes in your life. In contrast, his competitors had a less sophisticated understanding of how their training impacted their bodies. If you do not truly understand how your brain and body work, it will be more difficult to maximise your potential. Bannister's opponents were taking what scientists call a black box approach. In science, a black box approach means examining or testing a complex system or process, for example, how your brain works, without actually understanding what is going on inside it. For example, you are told off by your boss, input. This makes you feel stressed and angry, output. But you don't actually know what being told off did to your brain and body. You just know it made you feel angry. In the case of Bannister's opponents, they were focusing on the type of training they were doing, the input, and the running times they were achieving, the output. They were not scientifically measuring the effect their training was having on the inner workings of their bodies. They were treating it like a black box. So what? Well, in simple terms, these detailed scientific insights allowed Bannister to gain a competitive advantage. He made his training more efficient and effective than his competitors and was able to shave precious seconds of his running time. Bannister was a habit mechanic. By studying the inner workings of his body, Bannister uniquely understood that he had to get better at conserving oxygen as he ran. To do this, he needed to build some new habits. He created a specific running style to optimise oxygen consumption and drilled it until it became his habitual technique. He also adjusted his training habits. He designed new training to put exactly the same physical demands on his body as those created when attempting the four-minute mile. Bannister's scientific approach to performance allowed him to fulfil his potential and inspire countless others to do the same. Roger Bannister 
was what I would call a habit mechanic, and you can be one too. The process is simple. First, understand how your brain and habits work. Then, build the new habits you need to fulfil your potential. I'm going to guide you through this process and make it easy for you to put cutting-edge insights from neuroscience, behavioural science and psychology into practice. Just like Sir Roger Bannister, building new habits will allow you to fulfil your potential. If you want to become a habit mechanic, you first need to learn about your secret superpower. So that's the story of Roger Bannister. I hope you found it interesting, but also inspiring. If we want to do better, feel better, be at our best more often, and if we want to help others to do that, the first step is to become a habit mechanic. That's about learning how to self-coach, moving beyond knowing what you need to do to be at your best, to be able to turn that knowledge and those skills into habits so that you automate that. If you've got stories about habit mechanics that you want to share with the habit mechanic audience, so people that you think are habit mechanics, they're good examples, let me know. There could be people that are in the public eye, that are are famous. There could also be people in your community or people that have helped you in your life. Share those stories. Um, Contact us via the website, tougherminds.co.uk, or you can email us directly at contact at tougherminds.co.uk. Share those stories. We'll read and we'll try to share some of some of those in the podcast as well. Remember, if you like the podcast, subscribe to it. Tell other people about it. Because the more people we can help to be at their best more often, I think the better place the world is going to be. Thanks for listening. I hope that your journey to becoming a habit mechanic is making progress. You feel like you're developing small, new, helpful habits. I know that can sometimes be challenging. And the key thing to remember is that you're only ever one habit away.